Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good night, good evening. Uh, here we are on Beyond the Sermon. We are on the third Sunday after Epiphany. I am Pastor Dave Rudat. I am joined here with Pastor Will Harley from St. John and Maribel. That would be me. Hello. Good to see you all. And that's what we call a sound check. And we also have Pastor Dave Endorf from Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. And we have no sound from Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, or he's playing a prank on me, which probably is the latter. The second one. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, he's I just fun, thought that we were not as those, funny as he thinks he is. I yeah. thought we were in one of those foreign films where you see <laughs> lips moving and then hear the sound. <laughs> Sorry. Today Continue. we are on the third Sunday of after Epiphany, and uh, you have three pastors and one text. So we're looking at Second Corinthians chapter 5, reading verses 14 to 21. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to read from the NIV 11 translation, but you can read from whatever translation you're using. So Dave, if you could put Second Corinthians 5, 14 to 21 up. There it is. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we are, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the text for today. Which one of us would like to go first? We did not draw straws. I mean, we did the sound check as we were doing the live program, so why don't we just do straws as we're doing the live program as well? I This is my favorite, some of my favorite parts of Scripture right here contained in this section. So, I mean, if... Uh, um, I mean, if you want me to get my excitement out of the way, I can certainly go first and then the two of you can duke it out. I can't see what that says. Oh, it's a straw. Oh. <laughs> and he drew it. So therefore, he goes first. He drew a straw. There you go. <laughs> All right, Dave. Um, so I, I started with a uh, quote. Uh, life is, is what happens while you're making other plans. And I, I use that quote from John Lennon with a, a certain amount of trepidation. But I, I wanted to point out that you know, this is what happens because, you know, our plans go in one direction, but God's really pointing us in a different direction. And, and that we're... Uh, and that's because of our sinful nature. 
and, and regarding things from a, a worldly point of view. And, and so Paul here in Second Corinthians is pointing the Corinthians and he's pointing us to live a, a different type of life, that we were created to be different and that we are made different in Christ. That the world looks at things with this idea of, of what can I get out of it? What do I want out of my life? What do I want out of other people? What do I want out of things? And that's how they, the world regarded Christ. You know, they wanted Christ because he, he fed them with, um, uh, bread and, and fish. And then when he started talking about spiritual things, everybody, everybody left. Uh, Paul, as he, you know, uh, was looking for the Messiah, you know, he wanted a lawgiver. And when he didn't get a lawgiver, he persecuted Christians. And, and then on the road to Damascus, he had to be pulled up short by God. And so he, he was going in one direction, and then God pulled him back to the right way. And so we don't want to regard God or our lives from a, a worldly point of view. We want to recognize that, you know, Christ's love compels us, that, that we don't, we look at the world, not what can I get out of it, but what does the world need? What does the world need from me? How can I help the world? How can I serve the world? And that's an amazing thing because, you know, to start off with, it says an amazing thing about you. You know, that so often we feel like, you know, we're, we're broken or we don't have anything to offer or, or all of those negative things about ourselves. But, what has God made you? You know, he's made you his dearly loved and forgiven child in Christ. And so uh, here in, in 2 Corinthians, he, he even goes so far as to call you God's ambassadors. You know, and, and I talked about how we're not even, you know, if we were talking about an earthly ambassador, you know, I'm never going to get introduced even to an earthly ambassador because I'm just not that important. But God sees you as his ambassador because that's what he has made you in Christ. And so you get to be the one who reaches out with God's word. And what does that mean? That means that you are, you are sharing the gospel message, but also that you are doing, um, you know, the, the loving acts of, of God for your neighbor. You know, and and so you look at the end of of twenty one that we might become the righteousness of God. You know that that there's that righteousness we have by faith, but there is also the righteousness of you know. Hey, look, God sends us, and and we do these things for God. We are are the the blessing in other people's lives. That 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 is there for other people as God's ambassadors, as people who have the ministry of reconciliation. We share that message of righteousness with them. And, and we have this amazing new life in Christ then that is based not on what we get out of other people, but instead is what do other people need from us? And, and we are 
prepared and, and powerful and strong and blessed in Christ to be able to do that. What was your theme, Dave? You have an amazing new life in Christ. Yeah. So I, the, the, oh, go, the I, law go on. Was, oh, the law was basically, you know, the selfish, worldly attitude of what do I get out of it? The gospel was, um, you know, both you are forgiven for selfishness and also because you are covered in the righteousness of Christ, you are you are not just forgiven and washed clean, but you are empowered to serve and, and help and provide and and be there for other people. Yeah, it's an amazing way of looking at at the the text. Um, how how the text here motivates, right? Um, which is kind of your the way that you approached um, uh, the text for today is is the motivating factor. How is it that through the work of what our Lord has done for us in Christ, how does that bleed into who we are and and how we how we are motivated to do things? Um, good approach. Thanks. Yeah. So, Will, you're next in line. See, Dave is at the top. He drew the straw, yeah. and then you're next. Um. <clears throat> so my theme was um. Christ is center and circumference. That was my theme. Um. So Christ is center and is the center and uh, circumference. And uh, I kind of started my sermon with uh, um, kind of referring back to the who. Uh, the band, 1978, and I said, um, and one of their great songs was "Who Are You," <laughs> which which was written because a cop had pulled over the the main um, singer of the Who, and uh, of course that led to questions of "Who are you?" and and so he wrote a song about it, and that song is then later um, translated or used in CSI. Um, as they use that as their theme song because they're trying to find out who these people are um, that they're that have been murdered and then who is the murderer. And so I, I kind of went from there and I, I said, so who are you? And, and I branched it out and I said, you know, many times we, we don't think of ourselves just as the people who are on um, our birth certificate, right? We, we, we acknowledge that we are more than that. And I said, we are, the identity of who we are is is involved greatly in what we do. And so I said, so a, a person who is a farmer who associates himself with working with the ground, he is, he is that farmer. He's in the community. He considers himself to be a part of that group. If they work in a bank, they are a banker, right? They're with other people who work in the bank, the other bankers. Um, you know, if you're a fan of Taylor Swift, you're a Swifty. Um, you know, these you're a part of uh, you have you've gained an identity according to the group that you're with. And I said, and we can uh, we can narrow that down even more. I mean, that's a broad idea. We narrow that down even more. So if you if you have a parents, if you if you um, have parents, you are a child, right? You if you have a sibling, you are a brother or a sister. Um, if you have children, you yourself are the parent, right? You're a mother or a father. Um, if you have grandchildren, you are a grandparent. Um, so we narrowed that down even further that you are part of this group of people. You're part of this group uh, that has an identity. And I said, so let's narrow it down even further. Who are you in a spiritual sense? And and I 
I had some, I, I kind of left it out there for the, the congregation and some people said, you know, sinner, redeemed, and all those things are true. But I said, wouldn't we consider ourselves to be Christian? Wouldn't that be our identity, Christian? And what does it mean to be Christian? What does that mean to, to have that identity and say we are and who we are is Christian? And I said in, in its fundamental nature, it means that, that Christ is our focus and Christ is our center. And he is the circumference. He surrounds us. And I said, and that's exactly what Paul is saying, which it is, is, is what Paul is saying. Um, and so the very first, the, the really the two verses that hinge all of this on is verse 14 and verse 21, where, where we have uh, the very words for the love of Christ compels us because we have come to, to this conclusion. One died for all, therefore all died. Um, Kind of explaining that 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 word compels is a misnomer. Um, suneke is is the word in, in Greek, and it means to hold it together. God's love holds us together. It it it's kind of like the pressure on the external that surrounds His people and kind of pushes in on them, um, <clears throat> and and it brings us to a conclusion that that love of of our Lord, seen in Christ and what He has done, brings us to a conclusion. The conclusion is that one person died for all. That, that that the focus is on that one person, the focus is on Christ, the focus is on, on who he is and what he has done. And what has he done? Well, verse 21 tells us what he has done, right? What does that dying for all mean? It means that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And, and that's, again, that love that surrounds us, that love that, that hems us in. And I said, so our focus is on him. We focus on the life of Christ and we see what he has done as he lived for us, as he died for us. We once thought of him in only a fleshy way like the rest of the, the world, right? We thought of him as just a person out there until, until we saw his actions and the spirit has brought to us uh, the truth through the law and through the gospel as he brought to us who Christ is and roots us there through the waters of baptism, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, we are rooted now in that Christ, focused upon his cross, walking with him uh, from the open tomb. And so our focus is, our center is Christ, and yet he surrounds us and it allows us to look through him. I used the example of that I had heard a, a, a while ago, a long time ago actually, about during the Revolutionary War, and you had the Redcoats, the the British that were walking through, and and some of the bystanders. One of them was wearing, uh, testing out some, you know, glasses, and they were red colored. And every time he looked at the Redcoats through those red lenses, they were white. He he saw them differently than everyone else saw them because of what he was looking through. <clears throat> And, and I use that example that as we look through Christ who surrounds us, as we look through the love that he has, um, as he is our center and we look through him, we see other people different too. We don't see them as these breakups that we have in, the, in, in our culture today. We don't see them by race. We don't see them by ethnicity. We don't see them by even nationality or, or money or lack thereof. We see them as one either in faith or not, one who knows their Savior and is with us, or one who is in need of knowing their Savior and needing to know and, and receive that gift that God has given. Which leads us to the message of reconciliation, that God has not changed necessarily who we are, but changed the state in which we stand. We are still sinners, 
but we're sinners standing in Christ. We're sinners now being surrounded by that love. So when God interacts with us as God is is dealing with us, he himself is looking through Christ as he sees us. So as we are focused on Christ as our center and as we are surrounded by Christ as he is our circumference, God the Father sees Christ. And as we interact with other people, we become this ambassador not of one who's been perfect, not as one who doesn't sin, but as one who who shares forgiveness. I am forgiven. I'm still a sinner, but I am forgiven. And I stand somewhere else because God has reconciled me. He has taken my state and changed the state in which I was in. One that deserved death and punishment. One who stood on the, the hill of Mount Sinai, condemned under the law, now stand with my Savior at Mount Calvary because he has made that cross. He has come to get me. And so we are now ambassadors of the message of the one who became sin for us, that we might be his righteousness in him. And that's kind of, in a nutshell, the sermon. Your law and gospel will. <clears throat> so my law, my law was, uh, um, it, it was not as forceful as I think it should have been. It was more uh, an uplifting gospel kind of message, but um, the law that was there was we look at people and we look at ourselves um, always with these qualifiers, right? We look at ourselves and 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 by by um, money and by ethnicity and by race and by and you just fill it in and, and we judge people by those things and and so my law was um, we even judge Jesus by those things and and that's not how we do this anymore. Um, but that's that's how we are by nature. That's how we approach him. My gospel was, um, again, here is what God has done for you. In his love, he has surrounded you and holds you together in Christ. Um, He died for you, one for all. Um, He has given this to you that you are now called um, as an ambassador to give witness to this. Um, What do you give witness to? You give witness to the one who is without sin, who has been made sin for you um, and for your neighbor so that you all may be the righteousness of, uh, of God in Christ. Yeah. Thoughts, Dave. I think you raise a good point when, when you say, when you said something about your law wasn't as, as forceful as you think it should have been, um, that, uh, You know, that that is as pastors that that's something I would kind of push back at. I, kn- I know where you're coming from, that we want to be forceful with the law, but I, I think maybe a better way of phrasing it is that we want to be clear with the law and the gospel because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it forceful. And that sometimes where where pastors kind of run astray. Or, or go overboard is when they're trying to be forceful or they're trying to to force an emotional reaction and that it's better to try to be clear and trust the the Holy Spirit and that there's probably a good discussion there for beyond the sermon than than just some off the cuff comments for me right now. No, and I, I you think know, you're you right. know what I'm saying? I do. And I and I and I agree with you. And that's why um that's why I kind of phrased it, the, the, and, and that's maybe where my inclination was, is the simple fact that 
that in this is a gospel text. I mean, it is just mm-hmm. riddled with gospel. But the reality is he does have that little tag, right? Um, we knew Christ according to the flesh. We no longer know him that way. I mean, that that was kind of my law section in the sense of yeah. we. this is how we view other people, too. We view them by the flesh. Um, and I didn't dwell on it that long. I, I kind of just said, this is this is how we view people because we're sinners, that we view people on this external way, just like we viewed Christ in this external way. But, but no, this is, there's more. And, and here's, and I kind of just moved straight through it. So um, that's where I was, I was kind of getting that idea that, that maybe I could have dwelt more on that, but I didn't. Um, I, I was very excited about the text. I, I even gave the, the, the prelim before he started preaching. I said, this is one of my favorite sections of, of verses in the scriptures. And when I send out an email, it's on the tagline of my emails. Um, I said, so I will try my best to, to actually present something coherent because <laughs> you bounce around everywhere because you, because you love the text. Um, and so I, I kind of prefaced that uh, going into it. But I would do. I do agree that sometimes we do add more force to the law to try to make something there that isn't there. Um, yeah, and, and I guess, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say like we add more force, but we try to. I don't know, like wander around, or we focus on a lot of stuff that we we maybe shouldn't bother with, or we get away from the text when we when we shouldn't, or we spend more time on stories or anecdotes when we should have just stuck with God's word when, because we're trying to make an emotional point instead of just, this is what God's word says. Like being a Swifty. (laughs) (laughs) I have have a shirt that needs hemming. Is, is Taylor Swift? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, that was, that was kind of my, my, my sermon though. So I, I was really focusing on um, the beauty of Christ, not only being the focus of our faith, but he's, he's this, he's the circumference of it. Right. Um, you know, the idea of who are we, we are in Christ. Why? Because of Christ who died. So he's the focus of our faith and he is the circumference of our faith and we see everything through him. And what does that mean? So it was a fun, I enjoyed preaching that sermon. It was a fun sermon to preach. So there is a lot. And I would say that this was a horrible sermon to preach. Cause it's always like, there's so much more I want to say. And then you get done and you're like, Oh, there's so much I didn't cover. And I like, ah, yeah, that there is that. But for what I did try to, what I did cover, I just felt was, it was just fun. It, you all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is useful. Um, but some, when you, when you get to some verses in the pericope, you're just like, this is hard. And, and, and you can, when you preach it, your people can tell sometimes that was hard, right? You know, and there, there was a struggle there. Um, and, and in this case, it, it was just, it was refreshing. It was, re- I think the hardest part, the hardest part for me, I should say was, looking at this text and saying, okay, this text comes up in Pentecost. Um, series C, I do believe it comes up in Pentecost. And so it's like, okay, how do you, how do you preach this sermon? Epiphany calling of the 12 disciples, right? The calling of the disciples 
we're seeing the glory of God in the calling of the disciples, right? As he comes and he says, come and follow me. Um, and they leave everything and they they follow him. How do we how do we take this text and we we mash it up against that? Uh, Job was the first reading, right? Jonah. Um, Jonah, Jonah, sorry, Jonah. And and so you mash it up with Jonah, and and you're like, okay, how do we how do we make this epiphany? When when yeah, it Pentecost is perfect verse for Pentecost. You know, the working of the Spirit and the encouragement of of who we are and how we live. How do we make this now into an epiphany? Um, that was a challenge, I felt. That was actually my introduction, where I talked about this text seems to be out of place, because it seems to be like a Lent text. You know, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, or um, the, uh, um, or it could be a mission text, because you're ambassadors of Christ. But then I, the tie-in that I had with the gospel lesson was the message of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I thought that was my opening because I can talk about the concept of reconciliation. And you guys are both right. There's so much in this text. You've got universal justification where God uh, that made him who had no sin to be sin for us, meaning all of us. That, And then we've got subjective justification where God says if anyone is found in Christ, they are a new creation. You've got sanctification, the new creation. This is We're no longer regarding ourselves from a worldly point of view. Now we're living in this life of sanctification. Um and as we proclaim this message, this state that we have. So there's so much there, like you guys were all saying. Um, and in my sermon, that was my, my central theme was be reconciled to God. And that was, I, I actually just kind of put that theme there because it helped me to understand that you're going, don't preach about this text, but actually do what this text is doing, which is is announcing to us that we have a reconciled life because of Christ and encouraging us to live in that reconciled life. So it's talking about both the status and the living in that reconciled life. So the the theme was there. I don't I I mentioned it, but for it was more for my sake to help me keep me to the mark. Uh, I I talked about um, that this reconciliation reconciliation is a relationship term. Just talking about the basic concept of reconciliation that God is bringing us back into His camp and. Uh, God is, and I use the mountains picture. <clears throat> I think we'll use the mountain picture too. I used it a little bit differently than you did. I had where God was on His mountain, His holy mountain. We're on a mountain of sin. There's a, um, of sinners, and in between us is this big valley of sin that separates us from God. And now God reconciles. He He crosses over, and the only way He can do that is through Christ. I use the illustration of you know sometimes people say hate the sin, love the sinner, but really in the reality the the Bible says God hates the sinner, and the only reason why he loves the sinner is because of Christ, because Christ is that bridge. So when Christ says, uh, repent, that's the message of, is, is enacting the the powerful word of God of, of be reconciled, of turn from sin, and because the kingdom of heaven is near, because God is here in human flesh, the savior of the world that's promised. So that was the first point that I talked about, that, that just to try to open up and under, for everyone to understand this reconciliation concept is, is a relational one. And this message of reconciliation as we go to the end of the text of ambassadors of that is also a message of reconciliation for relationships, for friends, and all of those things. Um, and most importantly, obviously, reconciliation with Christ, but then the forgiveness that comes through Christ also bleeds over to the rest of our, our lives as we're dealing with one another. The second point was talking about how reconciliation was new not something that we got just because we're breathing. It's not something that we do. It's something God does. 
Um, and that's where the law was section was. The law was no longer live for themselves. And I, I really appreciated hearing both of you because I really struggled with, we regard no one according to the flesh. I, I, I didn't really talk about that. That wasn't my law. My law was no, we no longer live for themselves. We're always live, turned inward. That happens in relationships. That happens in our relationship with God. We're always thinking of what we want rather than what God wants. And uh, so then God creates a reconciled life, which was a third point. So this is what the activity of God uh, creating a reconciled life through, first of all, through his son, and then all secondly, through the means of grace coming to us. And then we are in, and then this uh, reconciled life is, is something that God, and that's where I came back to the, the sunek, sunekzo that you had talked about, the love surrounding us. Um, Christ, love surrounds us. I used a picture of a, plastic water bottle you know if you're holding on to that water bottle and you you hold on to it tight eventually uh, water is going to come squirt squirt squirting out and so we think about how the love we can the only way that you and i can truly love and and look at what's best for someone else is for christ to do that loving on us first and through his activity his he's creating in us a new heart he is creating in us a heart that loves and so that squeezing of the lord is, is is how we can even love anyone else so i talked about that in relationships too where we've got to this not we've got to but here this is what god creates in us is a love that is reaching out towards friends uh, how spouses if there's a problem with a spouse uh, people that don't know about jesus uh, how is it that we love anybody is is because of what christ has done for us and then the last point was ambassadors of Christ, and you guys uh, talked about that really, really well. It's we're not preaching our own righteousness. We're not saying come follow me because I'm so good and I've got it all figured out and I've got all my sins taken care of. But no, we are people who are living in this state of being reconciled with God. We are sinners, but then also because of Christ, we are reconciled. I, I you know, <clears throat> it's interesting that we all kind of. I mean, it's part of the text is verse 14, so it, it, it's really there. But in some ways, and, and maybe this is just my own twitchiness that, that gets in there. I, I think that word compels, which is in mo- most of the translations, right? Controls, compels, that idea. It, it almost brings up a misnomer and, and it almost makes you want to think, okay, um, the love of Christ this love that we are seeing is is part of God's sovereignty, got part of God's almighty nature. That that his that it is that it is a forceful thing that is 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 compelling us and forcing us and pushing us. Um, I mean, really, if you just do a general idea of what it means to compel, it, it says you know to do something by force, right? To to have, and that's not what this love is. And you and I love how you explain that in your sermon that that this love is is not a forceful thing but it is a holding thing, right? It, it, it does hold you and it, and it does, it does apply this. Um, I don't want to say pressure, but it, it applies uh, a guidance. It does apply guidance, um, but it is not the power. It is not, it, it does. The, the text never says uh, Christ's sovereignty <laughs> compels us. Uh, Christ's, Christ's almighty nature compels us. It is his love that compels us. And love is always an action. It is an action on to something else, right? Um, and, and so Christ's action on us uh, is what is holding it together. And, and it, is, it, is, it is the motivating factor. 
Um, and I think we all brought that out, but it's just a beautiful thing to, to really consider because I think so many of us in, in life, we've talked about this in last week's, at least very briefly, uh, we talked about this in, in last week's uh, podcast on Thursday, we were talking about the difference. And, and so many times we look at the sovereignty of God. That's, that's, you hear that all the time, God's power to work. And, and really it's his love. It's, it's his love at work. Um, and we see it so beautifully in this text. Mm-hmm. God's love for you in Christ. Here's what it does for you. Objectively, all subjectively, you, you, not his power to work, but his love for you um, at worked on you. Yeah. It, and at its core, it's Christ on the cross dying for you. That, I mean, what is, what is Christ? And I, I appreciate what you're saying. This isn't Christ's power because then you're thinking of uh, might and force. But this is love, which is God's activity on for the, the betterment of us. Uh, this is God being completely unselfish. And so as God is unsel- completely unselfish to me, uh, that is going to surround me. First of all, you know, the concept of comfort that it surrounds me, that I know that every, every, every day is a... a Every morning, mercy is new. You know, every day your mercies are new. Every morning, uh, God's love for me—it's not—is um, something I reflect on my status that I have with God, which also then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, moves us to be like Him. That we are also unselfish to other people. That we are also um, loved, loving them the way that Christ and God loves them. Absolutely. And this text doesn't use the word repentance but it's kind of at it at its heart the the definition of biblical repentance the the change in mind that the word that god wants you to have you know the the word repentance is metanoieo to have a a change in mind that that you go from regarding things from a worldly point of view to a, a view that says God loved me so much, he sent his son to die for my sins. And so I view God as uh, a loving father. I view God as my savior who died for me. I don't view sin as something that's a good idea. I don't view sin as, you know, that's something I would do, except I'd get in trouble for it. I I view sin as something bad. I view sin as something wrong. And and specifically here in talking about other people, it's how, how do I view other people? I, I view other people not as selfish things, but as objects of love and, and for me to love and for me to serve the way God views them. And that's the, the whole change in mind that God wants us. And, and so going back to the that compels us that, that you two were talking about, you know, it, it's that, <clears throat> you know, those guidelines that God, you know, sets around us, not out of force, but out of repentance, because we are, are different. We, we look at the world differently. We repent we we change we see things differently than the world does and so there's a a joke that floats around the internet or maybe it's an anecdote or a meme or whatever where you know little johnny wants a bike and so um 
you know, at first he's he's going to pray for a bike, but he doesn't think God works that way. So instead he goes and steals a bike and then he prays for forgiveness because God forgives. And it's that's a worldly point of view. You know, I want the bike. It's focused on himself. He's living for himself and he doesn't care about the person who's losing the bike. And and this text is really pointing out how everything should be the opposite of that. You know, I'm not living for myself. I'm I'm living for the person who owns the bike. I'm living for God. You know, and so I'm compelled, I'm constrained. I have these guidelines in my life because I trust God to provide. I trust God to care for me. I I repent. I have a new mind. And and I think if you expand that out a little bit, you have some beautiful things that are that are are seen here, and we come back to the very first words like we talked about in fourteen how how that is uh, how how God's love surrounds us right and holds us together. You have um, the coming up of of um, He was reconciling us to the world right, and then as it, as you come down in verse twenty, it says be reconciled. That is a past tense action upon you. Be reconciled. Um, that idea of, um, and we've heard it more and more. It was it was part of the reformational thought as well. Uh, Luther said that we are in the act of being, and the act of repentance. We are being repented. It is a, it is a work of the Spirit through the law um, that he he brings us to repentance. He does the work um, that that brings us to that point. And so I, I kind of I like where you're going with that, where we're hedged in by these things that God has given us to interact with each other. And I keep coming back to you know the words of Isaiah, where where uh, Isaiah prophesied how how the Lord uh, planted the vineyard, right? He built the walls around it. He put in all the, and then he places us in that vineyard. How Jesus, uh, multiple uh, in many of his his um, parables, explains how you know he he built the vineyard, he put the walls around, he put the wine press in there, and then he brought people into it to work it. Um, and you have that idea that's kind of flowing in the background, I'm sure, of Paul as he's writing about these things, right? He, he you, the, Those workers, those tenant farmers were brought in. They were brought into that. It didn't change who they were because they were horrible people. So he brings other people in. Um, it, it's that change of state. You once were out of it, now you're in it because he brought you into it. And so be that, be that because, because I've made you that now. And there's just a beauty um, of, of understanding that what's going around in some of the questions. I don't know if you've been reading some of those guys, but some of the questions that have been going on is, is that there are people out there that, that believe that once you are in this state of new life of Christ, that you no longer sin or that you're on a progression of not sinning. That that's not what this text is saying. In fact, this text is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, be reconciled. Understand the state you're in now because you are in Christ. And, and he says you are now an ambassador of it. Not that people are going to look at you and say, oh, look at you, how perfect you are. But they're going to be like, wait a second, you're a sinner. You're horrible. You do the same things I do. And you can say, I know, but I am, I am forgiven. I understand that I am wrong and I am sorry. And I have been brought to that understanding. And, and here's my Christ. Um, and, and that is different. And and you have that too. And what an what a way to be an ambassador for someone else. The ambassador is not the Christ. The ambassador is not the person who sent them. They make mistakes. They they maybe speak out of turn. They maybe do. They are just the here's here, pointing backwards, right? Always pointing. Here's the one who sent me. Um, 
man, how great flow from talking about even Philip. I don't know what to talk. I don't know what to tell you. Just come and see. <laughs> I, I I don't know, but but come. Yeah, it. This is a good text to talk about both justification and sanctification without mixing the two, which is what you're going to get in the holiness groups. Is that your sanctification is your justification? You know that you are a believer if you are um, holy, if you are without sin, if you've re- rejected it. Um, I would just push back a little bit on just the idea of, well, we remain a sinner because that's not what Paul is talking about. He is talking, we are a new creation. Yeah, we are a sinner, but we're we're not dwelling on this as if we excuse the sins of the past or the sins of the future. We are a new creation, Paul says. Well, and I, I agree with, I, I know what you're saying, but I you, you work with the tension of what Paul has said previously, right, um, to the Romans, Um you know, it's, we are at the same time, saint and sinner. We, we live in both worlds and, and, and this is a beautiful text that tells us what does God see and what is, what is that still remain, right? God sees the new creation that he has made. And yet what still remains is that sinful nature that, that rears its ugly head and, and kicks back uh, against it. And, and therefore you have that wonderful word that comes up in a very similar way, although different um, language. But, but that same word, be reconciled, always remember the state in which you're in. Leviticus 19.2, be holy. Always remember the state in which you're in. I mean, it, it comes in, uh, in, in, in the, the sacramental language of Leviticus, uh, which I know we, we use that as the law section, right, of, of Leviticus. And we say, uh, I am not holy as my God is holy. And he tells me to be holy. But, but really, that idea of be holy is a passive action upon you. Be holy. God declaring through sacramental language. But I'm not all the time. I know. <laughs> I, I know that. Um, but, but you are that because I'm making you that be reconciled. Well, I'm not that all the time. I don't feel that way all the time, but you are because I have made you so. Yeah. Um, and, and there's that tension. There is. A little- and as we're talking about the, the holiness movement, one of the important things to keep in mind is that their definition of sin is, is different from the biblical definition of sin. You know, the biblical definition of sin is anything which departs from the will of God in thought, word, or deed is a, a sin. You know, and, and their definition would be much more along the lines of any intentional departure, you know, anything where you deliberately go against God's will is a sin. And so they would they would eliminate, you know, sins of, of ignorance, they would eliminate sins of, of of weakness, and they would not count those. And and that's part of the the issue with the holiness movement is you know, they, they eliminate this whole category of sin. And and so they're talking more about like intentional acts of rebellion, that we can get away from those as, as Christians. And and we would not necessarily disagree with that, you know, that... that um, well, that's you know, the new life, on, right? Right. That is the new life in Christ, depending yeah. on how good your, how clear your definition of an intentional act of rebellion is. Um, that is the new life in Christ. That is what the Bible talks about. Um, and yet I also stand with Paul and say the good I want to do, this I can't, or this I don't do, right? Um, he, he does say that, but not here, not in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. 
I understand. He doesn't yeah. end with, oh, by the way, you're still a sinner. No, he says, you said, are in the righteousness of God. You have yep. become, this is an heiress, this is something that's happened to you in the past. This is, this is the, what, the thought where you should be focusing on, is this new creation in Christ. Not it that is oh, you're still struggling with it. Yeah, it's, it's super loaded in gospel, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't take, I mean, but in the discussion, in the discussion when you, when you talk with somebody and they say, you know, especially with someone in the holiness church, you, yeah. you, you can't just say, well, we are this, we are, but we are also, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the counterpoint. Right. And it, you're right. In this section, total gospel. Yeah. Focus on that. Yeah. 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 If you're talking with someone from the holiness, you'd go to Romans seven. Like yes. let's, let's, let's spend some time there, my friend. Until like like David says, uh, you understand really what sin is. Instead of a weakness, you see a man who's tormented. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and the other thing to point out is, in the holiness movement, you know, are they're not being Christ's ambassadors? Then, you know, they're being the the ambassadors of themselves. You know, because they're not pointing to Christ and, and to His sacrifice. It's it, it's your work. It, it's your effort. It's you can do this. You have to do this. Work harder. You do it. And, and that's where they fall short of Second Corinthians five because they redefine sin. It, it's something that you can do. Yeah. And, and so they fall short both of Romans seven and of Second Corinthians five because of how they redefine sin. And well, it's just because they're pointing, they just point with a closed hand and three fingers point back at them. When we point, we got to point with our whole hand, right? <laughs> point with the whole hand. <laughs> the guy we're landing just, a plane. Yeah, all the way around, a big circle, and inside is Christ. Yeah. yeah. And around you is Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a really good discussion, and I'm I'm glad. Thank you for asking the question because I think it is it is something that needed to be a part of the text. Again, as we talk about these texts, realize, and this is such a beauty of of the scriptures and such a beauty of the Holy Spirit as He works within His church. You could have one text, and you can have a hundred different sermons on that text, and and you're still dealing with the same point. And God be praised uh, for Christian brothers who who are standing in the pulpit and they they're understanding objective justification, subjective justification. They're balancing uh, sanctification uh, as well as 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 the justification text itself. They're looking ahead and behind, and they're trying to gather all the parts of Scripture and put it all together. And they're coming out with with other parts that they want to highlight. And God be praised because. Three years from now, we're going to get this again, and 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 maybe next year we're going to have it in a different season. And if we want to preach on it again, we can we can preach on it again, and we'll have a different sermon text, and we'll have a different flavor. And uh, and this is the living word of God for us, which is awesome. 